You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. So you think you've got what it takes to join the Alliance. Can you say the same thing when you're pitted against the Emperor's legions of stormtroopers, led by his Sith Enforcer Darth Vader? Mind you, this is the Empire that wiped out the Jedi Order and took over the Republic in a near-perfect coup. The course you will take is a dangerous one, and we are vastly outnumbered. We need beings of courage, intelligence, and strength of will. Commanders Michael Cohen and Matthew Prenke are waiting to debrief you. As veterans of the Clone Wars, they are some of the best. They even survived the Jedi Purge. You are fighting for freedom and hope now. So go on, get moving. Oh, and Rookie. Welcome to the Rebellion. Hello and welcome back to Rebel Cells Clone Wars Special Edition for the episode Trespass. I am one of your hosts, Michael Cohen, and with me, as always, my faithful co-pilot, Matt the Crankster Cranky. Hey, Mike and Star Wars fans, welcome back. Hey, we're a little late. Uh, yeah. it's, it's a little early in the morning. Yeah. Uh, you could probably <laughs> we sound a little uh, gruff, but hey, yeah. we're here to do some, uh, some Clone Wars Special Edition. I'm excited about this uh, episode. Yes, a hundred percent. Yep, this is uh, as as longtime listeners will know. This is one of my favorite episodes of Clone Wars. Um, it is certainly my favorite, my absolute favorite standalone episode. Um, and uh, we'll get into that in a minute. But before we do, uh, we have some news. We have some actual Star Wars animation news to talk yes. about this week. Yes. So I. I, over at rebelcells.com, you can check out these images of uh, a couple of images that, that um, were posted. Uh, they've been kind of posted around, but they leaked um, via a, a Disney event uh, in France called uh, the Disney France Partners event. So kind of, a, um, I think, like a, like a shareholders, or not a shareholders, but like a probably like a licensors like like uh the partners right so so you know people who are making products or collaborating with disney on on properties um merchandise or or um crossovers or you know licensed things um uh and uh and we've gotten our first grainy uh uh, yeah you know uh handheld (laughs) look at yeah. uh, at the characters um, in Star Wars Resistance, and uh, and I think that one of the interesting things about this is definitely the style. Um, and I we, we knew that this was going to be a very uh, anime influenced um, take on Star Wars, but uh, it's cool to start seeing a little bit of what that actually looks like. See some of the main characters in the image. Um, you can see, uh, uh, the main character, uh, oh shoot. I had his name. What was, what was Ziono? His... Sorry. Ziono. 
yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, geez, I would need to go back and um but uh, yeah, and we can see you can you can definitely see uh, uh, Poe Dameron as well as BB-8 um, included in there. Um, although, Zuko. yeah, yeah uh, and uh, and and off to to the left side of it, uh, you can very very clearly make out Captain Phasma and some yes. First Order stormtroopers, as well as a red, what appears to be. It's hard to tell exactly because you can't really see the details. But it looks like it's a red first order stormtrooper, um, right. <clears throat> and uh, that to me that's exciting. That sounds like it's or looks like it's going to be a a new character, a, a sort of a standout character. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I am super jazzed for this show to come out. Uh, this is right up my alley. This is exactly what I was was hoping for. Um, and you know, something taking place, uh, between, uh, uh, episodes six and seven. Um, and, uh, and the idea that it's going to focus on, on, on a hot shot up and coming pilot. And, uh, you know, he's got his hot rod ship, which we get another <laughs> look at, which it actually, yeah. um, in this image is really cool. Cause, um, if you look, you look at the nose cone on the, on the ship, um, it actually is like one of the intakes on like a, like an X-Wing, right? Like it, it right. looks like that same sort of thing. So mm-hmm. you put that together with the existing image, um, that we've already seen. And you're starting to get a little bit more dimension of what this, what this new Starfighter looks like. And, uh, it looks, it looks very much like it's cobbled together from pieces of existing Starfighters. Um, yeah, and I'm excited to see see more from this. Uh, yeah, which, you know, Comic Con's right around the corner. It's about two weeks away, as of recording this, and uh, and I'm sure, I am sure, I'm positive, and a couple of people have given me a little bit of flack of like, oh, I don't know if they're gonna, you know, it's a Clone Wars panel. I don't. I'm, I'm hoping that we see Clone Wars stuff at the Clone Wars panel. It's like, yeah, Clone Wars is a show that's been over for now, like what five years. <laughs> Yeah. Um, it's time to move on, everybody. I think we've, some new stuff. Yeah. I think we've seen all of the uh, unfinished animatic episodes. Uh, I think we've kind of gotten everything. I mean, like I'm cer- certainly there's more concept art and there's more, you know, um, um, pr- production stuff for them to reveal during that panel. Um, and and I'm sure that we're gonna get some of that stuff, but I don't think that we're gonna get anything like we've gotten from the last couple of well. Not the last couple of celebrations. The two last two celebrations that I was at, where we got um, entire episode arcs because there was recorded dialogue, but not finished episodes, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I don't think that we're gonna get anything like that. But I do think I think that that panel is going to absolutely end with Dave Filoni saying one more thing and uh, and, yeah. and and dropping a trailer. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, I, I I think that we'll be seeing more from this sooner rather than later. I think the fact that it did show up at this partners event in France is is a really good indicator of that. That that this looks like the beginning of promo art. It doesn't look complete, but it looks like somebody's working on the promo art, and so um, we're gonna start seeing 
posters and key art and all that sort of stuff really soon. Um, yeah. And hopefully we get what we got with, with uh, Star Wars Rebels and we get like those little character vignettes oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, to introduce us to, to the new characters. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, I think it looks it – looks, um, like you said, I think this is just the beginning. I think pretty. Yeah. I think you're right. I think so, in the next couple of weeks we're gonna. This is like the the initial launch here. Like here we go. And looking at the art, I I was a little surprised because I have no I, I know nothing about animation and all that. Yeah. Um, so to me, I'm looking at it. I'm going. This looks fairly straightforward as far as the animated style. I mean, is yeah. this is this considered? Would you consider this anime, Mike? It doesn't necessarily look like that to me, does it? It's you know, it's gonna it's gonna fall in that same zone that Avatar: The Last Airbender and and um, the Legends of Korra uh, fit in, which uh, Dave Filoni worked on Avatar: The Last Airbender. Um, it it definitely falls into that category of sort of that American anime. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's it's anime is a difficult thing to um, to define uh, because it is actually um, it's a genre more than it is a specific style. They're actually like within okay. within anime. There are several styles like shoujo and like the, there's there's probably like a dozen different styles of anime. Because when you look at something like you've got something like Dragon Ball Z. Or um, even like looking at like Dragon Ball versus Dragon Ball Z, they're actually different, right? Because Dragon Ball Z fits in with like like Naruto and Bleach and One Piece and uh, a lot of that the the sort of like action Saturday morning cartoon stuff, and then Dragon Ball is actually something that fits in more with um, something like Rama One Half or uh, I, I, like the more comedy based i uh, i uh, animated stuff out of out of japan so it's like there are there are all of these different styles because then and then you get into like stuff that's a little bit more cinematic like a ghost in the shell right uh and that's another style entirely from from those other things right because it's much more um, it's not a Saturday morning cartoon or a comedy. It's uh, it's it's very cinematic, and um, the 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 style reflects that in camera moves and and character movement and all that sort of thing. So this to me it it fits into the Americanized anime sort of subgenre, and there's a there's there's only a handful of shows that have ever done it well. But um, Avatar is probably the at the top of that list, and and it's a, always a funny thing because Avatar is very anime influenced, and there are definitely um, Asian American individuals who work on that who worked on that show on on both of them on Avatar and and Korra, um, but because it's produced in America, I. Even though a significant portion of that animation, because it was two D, uh, it goes out to Asia and then back to America, but because mm-hmm. the creators and everything are America based, um, some people don't won't consider that anime. They'll only consider things coming out of Japan to be anime. But personally, uh, I'm of the opinion if it walks like a duck and talks like a duck, to to just. Uh, 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 
rip a line from Ant-Man and the Wasp, which I saw twice in the last two days. Uh, oh. I, I guess three days, because today is now Saturday. I saw it on Thursday night and then Friday. Uh, and that line is in there, so it's at the top of my mind. Um, but if it walks like a duck and talks like a duck, then it's a duck, right? And Avatar looks like anime. The the storylines are very anime-inspired. Uh, uh, um, the even the voice acting has a little bit of that flair to it. Um, so I don't know. I need to see a little bit more of this in motion before I can say, you know, like this is a hundred percent something I would consider anime, even though it is computer animated and anime is traditionally, uh, uh, hand-drawn, um, or occasionally computer assisted, but this series is going to be fully, computer generated um which is going to be interesting to see where they divide from anime and what they what they maintain because one of the things with anime um that that american animation then started to ape in the the 80s and 90s was um was like a sort of limited frame movement so um Back in the 1930s and 40s and 50s and and 60s, uh, Walt Disney and 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 others trying to do the same thing as him, um, you drew every frame and you wanted fluid motion. Like that was that was the goal, right? Like you go back and you watch old Mickey Mouse cartoons, and uh, the movement of Mickey Mouse is very sort of like bendy and flimsy and and very fluid. And the reason for that is because they're trying to be as as fluid as they can, right? So they're showing like a lot of motion, a lot of antic and stuff like that in the animation. Um, and then you flip over to Japan, and what you're seeing is uh, uh, a bit more of a stylized approach that really, like, and we're talking about like in the in like the the seventies, uh, I guess, starting in the sixties with with things like Astro Boy. Um but they into like the seventies and the eighties, you see them uh intentionally um cheating the animation. And and America started doing that as well, but America was doing it really poorly. Like instead of um dropping frames or or um or holding a pose and only moving the mouth or whatever, they would um, they would just recycle animation. So you're, that's we're talking about like your Scooby Doo's and uh, all the Hanna Barbera stuff, where it's and uh, you know even getting into like He Man and stuff like that, where it's like you animate the gang running down a hallway once, and then you use that with different painted backgrounds every episode, right? So um, the, if you go back and you watch original episodes of Scooby Doo, every like second or third episode has a sequence where Scooby and Shaggy, as well as like the other individual characters and maybe the bad guy, are all going through a series of doors as they chase each other. But the background changes; like it's a different. Okay, yeah. this time they're in the haunted amusement park. This time they're in a haunted right. castle, right? Yeah. But the yeah. animation is the same. So America was doing that in order to cut down on costs. Japan was coming up with these really great techniques to. Um, not recycle the same animation over and over again, but to um, 
to limit the amount of new drawings that need to be produced in order to uh, new complete drawings, I should say, in order to pull off what they needed to. So you get into something like, like eventually in, in the, in the late eighties, you get into Dragon Ball Z. <clears throat> There's a lot of characters standing in their fight pose, screaming and not moving. And the flames around them are moving. And so the, the flame effect is animated on like probably a four or five frame cycle. And it's just going over and over and over again. And the character is just going, ah, as they power up. And that's, a solid three seconds of your episode. And, you know, when you're only doing 22 minutes, that's, you know, you do that four or five times and you've got, you know, <laughs> you start to build out your episode yeah. and reduce right. your, your production costs. Cause you're not having to do lip syncs or, or, um, or fight moves or whatever. And then, and then in dragon ball Z is such a great example because there's so many of these great cheats. Um, the characters are moving so fast that you can't even see them move. So you get it because it, it, it translates so perfectly from the comic um, that because comics are obviously still frames. Right. And uh, that's one of the biggest things is that American animation was kind of its own thing. And then comics were their own thing. But in Japan, manga and anime were very tightly uh, connected. So there's a lot of comic book techniques in anime I think it's probably one of the things that defines it the most and why you get like those great sort of splash page type moments. But in Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Z, a character will move so fast that they just turn into a series of lines. Like there will right. just be like a bunch of hash lines to show that something right. was there, but it disappeared faster than the eye can track. And then in the in the comic panel, you just have Goku and Piccolo clash right like you just have like one thing where like goku is punching and piccolo is blocking and then you move to the next frame like that your next panel in the comic and they're doing something else and so your brain like puts together the the in-between stuff right as you're reading a comic book as you would with any comic book even an american comic right but in anime they translated that as quite like very literally the same thing where you'd have the camera and it would basically be in a fixed position and the characters would like be standing there and then they turn into those lines for half a second and then disappear and and then reappear and they'd be in one of those those key poses and then they disappear again and then reappear somewhere else in another one of those key poses and you'd go oh, okay so this is what it would look like all you're seeing is like these moments where they strike and pause for a fraction of a second and then they're gone again right <clears throat> but the cool thing about that is that there's no animation in those sequences they're awesome and they like define dragon ball like like that's one of like the main things in that series is like that cool like oh man they're moving so fast i can't even track them um <laughs> but it is such a cheat of animation so it's stuff like that that really to me starts to define anime it's like that and then like um you know you could have a character standing and delivering dialogue and they'll be in a really great pose and they might have like a fist like like a like imagine vader in empire if he had like like he's got like the hand up to to luke and he's saying like join me and together we'll destroy the emperor like that sort of a pose and vader's not moving right 
but the fist might just have like a little tremor to it like a shake to it yeah yeah, yeah. and that's like that's a very anime thing as well so I'm really interested to see when we actually start to see the series in motion, whether or not they're going to bring that stuff over because avatar absolutely did avatar borrowed very heavily on those animation techniques and was very heavily influenced. And a lot of that was coming from Dave Filoni, who is very heavily influenced himself by uh, like Hayao Miyazaki and, and some of the other greats uh, like Akira Toriyama from, from Japan. Right. So, um, like, I mean, like when you look at, at Dave Filoni's individual drawings, like just his personal drawings, he has a very loose, sketchy style because I, I don't know how often he actually like finishes a piece these days. Um, right. He's got yeah. a very like loose um, storyboard style to a lot of the work that he does. But you can see in his shape and volume that he's really, really heavily influenced by by Hayao Miyazaki. So anything that's like like uh like Ponyo or um I I I Howl's Moving Castle or Princess Mononoke like those are all Studio Ghibli. Um which is funny cuz Disney bought Studio Ghibli and like distributes their stuff in in North America. Um so it's like there's a connection there. Now it's it's fine. Well, I mean everything's going to be connected by Disney sooner or later cuz they just keep buying everything. But I yeah, like you can see that there's a very heavy influence there. And then when I look at these images of the characters, our first look, um, I think I even said this back when we when we got the very first image, the the Star Wars Resistance logo um, with BB-8 and the ship. It's that that style of cell, like hand painted cell, um, like the color, the the shape, the volume. So. When I say volume, I'm talking about like the way that it's shaded and the sort of um, the almost like like bubbly feeling to it. That like that's a very Studio Ghibli um, style is to sort of have like these really um, these really clean, really uh, fluid um shadows like 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 uh, i when you look at that bb8 in in the promo image the 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 shadow on the right side of his face uh his dome uh is very clean and it's very like it's it's got like a really defined shape to it and then you look at the shadow underneath the dome it's again like a very fluid flowing shape that's a that's very much a, a miyazaki thing as opposed to there being like a sharp angle in there somewhere or, you know, it being a little bit more of like a, a one-to-one perfect shadow, um, which would be more of an American thing to do um, to, to try and replicate a more of a reality feel. There's a, there's a very like painterly, very, um, very liquid look to the, to the, the colors and, um, and the shadowing and stuff like that. So, I like it to me. It looks like it's very Miyazaki inspired, um, and I'm just interested to see if the animation follows through on that, in terms of like the techniques that they use. Because Japan is doing computer animated stuff, they're not doing a lot of it. But what they do, um, they actually uh, instead, as opposed to like American stuff, like a Pixar movie, is perfectly fluid, 24 frames a second right like it's it's Mm -hmm. you see everything right the hand moves from the left to the right you see every single frame of that moving 
um, in Japan, they're even though like because when you do computer animation, you say okay, hand starts at point A and goes to point B, and then the computer fills in the gaps. And if you wanted it to do sixty frames. Uh, in a second you could get it to do 60 if you wanted it to do 120 you just tell the computer how many frames to fill in and it'll give you all of those frames um some of the anime stuff that they're doing in japan they'll tell it okay it's a it's it's 24 frames per second or if it's for tv it's 30 frames per second um but only give me every fourth frame and it gives it like a bit of a choppy look, but it makes it look a little bit more like anime. So like like traditional anime, hand-drawn anime. So I'm interested to see if some of those techniques are going to come across in this one or if it's going to look more like Star Wars Rebels or Clone Wars. Um, yeah. But yeah, it, 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 it this gives us a peek and it definitely pulls back the curtain a little bit, but there's still so much left to to dive into um like i said anime is hard to define i just had to talk for (laughs) for like almost 10 minutes i don't know uh to to kind of get it across especially if you're not a fan of anime then you know some of these things aren't going to be apparent right at the outset um but I don't know, as, as soon as we see some actual animation, uh, we'll we'll revisit this and I'll 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 render a verdict for you guys whether or not that I would consider this to be actual anime. But like I said, I consider Avatar: The Last Airbender to be anime, even though it's not from Japan. Um, it like I said, if it walks like a duck and talks like a duck, then it's a duck, right? Like <laughs> and uh, and Avatar absolutely follows that definition of anime. It uses a lot of the same stuff. The other thing that that might come across in this, um, that that we haven't because we haven't seen anything from it yet, is the comedic aspect. If the characters' faces change. Right, like um, if you've ever watched the new Ninja Turtles series, there was a very heavy anime influence in that one. Um, as a matter of fact, Ninja Turtles is a really great example of them actually dropping frames and using that anime style. I wouldn't consider the the 2013 Ninja Turtles to to be anime, mm. but it used a lot of techniques. Um, it, it 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 sort of apes stuff, but it was almost using some of that stuff. Um, I don't know, I guess it's like it was more homage than it was trying to be the style, if that makes sense. Um, but every once in a while you have a character who's um, it's a lot of the time it'll be used for comedic effect when a character is like shocked or or uh, uh, disappointed or something like that. And their face will come like their their eyes and mouth will just like on a split second completely change into like this fixed pose. Um, and then maybe, you know, like the anime cliche is like the little sweat drop will come down. Um, so I don't know if we're going to see stuff like that. I don't think that we would, because I think that that might be like a bridge too far for a lot of, uh, a lot of star Wars fans. But, um, I mean, I would personally be open to it because I think that that could be fun. Um, especially with characters like, like the droids, like with, with BB eight, um, in order to get across his emotion, um, to have to have him, you know, occasionally break character and 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 you know have a have a, a silly expression or something like that might um 
might add to that character. But from what we've seen so far, the first image and then this one, I don't think that we're going to get that because that's um, that's not really a, a Miyazaki thing either. Like that's not that's that's a that's more of like a comedic thing, like or like the Saturday morning cartoon type thing than it is that cinematic style. And I think this will be more cinematic as um, Clone Wars and Rebels both were. But yeah, so I think is yeah I. If somebody were to ask me, like, since I don't know a lot about animation, I would just tell them, if they didn't see any of the images, I would say, oh, this this series is going to look like, um, it most closely resembles something they would do in Rebels, kind of the Disney type of, yeah. um, you know, a- animation or whatever. So that's yeah. that's kind of where it's looking for me. But um, but yeah, it looks exciting. You know, you see Poe there; it looks just like Poe to me, obviious to me, and Phasma yep. and, and this new red guy and. It's it's looking actually pretty darn good and and I guess we get a it looks like they're talking October um, that's the rumors going around from this yeah. article so uh, like you said maybe something coming up fairly soon hopefully yeah yeah and I like definitely when it was announced we we heard fall of this year and October matches Clone mm-hmm. Wars and Star Wars Rebels when they would generally premiere around the last week of September first couple weeks of October so that tracks for me. I am like, I absolutely anticipate this starting when arrow and, uh, uh, all the CW shows and, and a lot of the shows start now, which tends to be late September, early October. Um, right. yeah. Uh, it's amazing it's how so- much topic we can get out of <laughs> one leaked image, but, uh, A leaked image. Yeah. There it is. <laughs> Clearly yeah, you know, we're it's- champing at the bit uh-huh. to get some star Wars resistance. Uh, content. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I know. Seriously, oh, ep- episode uh, nine to finish up. Um, yeah. Obviously, it's getting ready to start production, and we're starting to get these. We'll 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 get this as we go along here in the next few months. Yeah. People getting uh, possibly signed to do this movie, and Carrie Russell has been. I don't know if it's official though. I don't. I don't know if it's just they're we, talking to her. We haven't gotten what a StarWars.com announcement yet. Um, right. So it's not official. Official. But it, this is coming from, I think, Hollywood Reporter originally. So, um, yeah, it's this is very credible. This, yeah. this is, and it makes sense. J.J. Abrams works with people that he knows and likes, um, as do a lot of directors, honestly. And um, and Carrie Russell is. I mean, like, uh, uh, for anybody who watched Felicity, uh, that's a, that was a J.J. Abrams show. Oh, and yeah. I, I, that's what put her on the map, right? So um, it is very, like, this just makes sense. It, it makes perfect mm-hmm. sense. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't really know her that well, but I know that, uh, obviously, I know who she is. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's so funny when you see, like, obviously, this goes throughout the Star Wars uh, universe as soon as it hits and we're all talking about it and it's just funny to see like everybody's already throwing out like you know she's ray's mom and she's an or she could be a knight of ren it's just kind of funny to see all the possible things that one sim- simple thing and yeah. maybe she, she could be just something that like uh laura dern was just maybe a, a general you know an admiral in the thing or whatever you know it's just funny to see how far yeah. things can go just on one casting so this is the fun of star wars this is the fun yeah. of uh speculation so my, i've got my money on her being um uh the spiritual successor to leia 
that that they need to replace that character's presence okay. in the film okay. um, mm-hmm. uh, for obvious reasons. Uh, and that that she's like Carrie Russell's going to be the character that comes in and fills that that role um, to a certain degree. I think that I think that the way that you leave Poe Dameron in The Last Jedi, um, it's going to lead into him being the leader of the resistance. I think right. that he will absolutely be like Poe will be the um, Princess Leia of the original trilogy, like where we see Leia at in uh, Return of the Jedi, where it's like, well, she's very clearly part of the the inner circle of leadership here. And she's like the she Leia was like the boots on the ground leader. Right. Mm-hmm. We saw that in Empire and we see that in in Return oh, of the sure. Jedi. Right. Where it's like she's she's part of the inner circle, but she's not afraid to get her hands dirty. Um, yes. And I think that this Carrie Russell character might be more of like the Mon Mothma, like like more of like the the political um, uh, figurehead leader sort of character. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I could see them her coming in and being like like one of the one of the senators and it's like she wasn't on on um what was the planet that got the system uh uh oh, that got destroyed oh yeah that was something with an h there's an h in there so hosnian prime hosnian prime yeah, yeah. um <laughs> It's early in the morning. <laughs> I haven't even eaten breakfast yet. Uh, that's how quickly I need to get this episode. I had some to coffee, you. so I was able to pull that one. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've got my iced tea, but I've only made it halfway through it. So, um, yeah, I, yeah, I, I think that like it, she, I think it's very realistic knowing that actress and and sort of what what she's usually cast for. Um, I think that having her in that sort of um, like I said, like a Mon Mothma, um, I, you know, former senator uh, in the in the New Republic, um, former only because the New Republic has been destroyed. Yeah. Um, but like a political side of it that's that's like, um, we need to rally these systems. We need to restore order, and you know, like like that same sort of um, vibe that we had with. Uh, with Mon Mothma, and I would say more of the vibe of Mon Mothma from like Star Wars Rebels than from mm-hmm. the movies, because in the movies Mon Mothma's all like she's a total bummer, right? right. <laughs> she's always like, "Oh, I'm so sad about everything." <laughs> um, but like Mon Mothma, as we saw in Star Wars Rebels, was a little bit more like, like you know, like there's suffering and injustice in the galaxy, and it's up to the Alliance to mm-hmm. to put an end to that so i i think that we could see her playing a character that's very much like like the first order needs to be stopped in order to restore peace and justice to the galaxy um you guys fight the war i will make sure that that our allies remain allies sort of thing um so yeah i that's that's my guess i don't see her playing uh a knight of ren that's that's I um I absolutely want to see one of those knights of Ren take their helmet off and and it be uh, a a woman, but I I mean that can mean a lot of things and I just don't think that Carrie Russell fits that fits that, that mold, vibe. Yeah, but yeah, at the same sure. time, I don't know because because um 
I mean, look at Kylo Ren, right? One of the great things about that character is that his his outward appearance doesn't match the inward character, right? right? Like when he puts the mask on, you're like, oh yeah, that's like a Darth Vader type character. And then he takes the mask off and you're like, who's this like sensitive boy, right? Like, like it's <laughs> a... That I yeah. think that's one of the coolest things about that character, and I think what they did in the Last Jedi, where Snoke is like, take that ridiculous thing off, and then he destroys the mask. Um, I think that 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 is such a cool moment because it's like, um, stop trying to hide your perceived weakness, right? Like, like stop trying to to hide behind the mask so that people can't see how you actually feel and react to things. Um, just like, cause he's using it for intimidation. So there's like a, that was a cool dynamic and I could see them potentially wanting to replicate that with some of the other Knights of Ren and that you could have a moment. See, now I'm talking myself into it. You could have a moment (laughs) where Ray is facing down the Knights of Ren or one of the Knights and, um, and, and saying, you know, like you betrayed Skywalker, you betrayed your the your fellow Jedi, you're a monster yeah. just like him right. or whatever. Yeah. Um, you're worse because you know, like you just you just blindly followed him when he said to to slaughter your friends. Uh, you're you're disgusting or something like that. You know, like how Ray kind of jumps to conclusions like that, and then have her like pull the helmet off, and it's actually like this beautiful woman underneath, and it's like, oh, <laughs> that's unexpected, but yet when you track backwards in the story and you look at who would have been at Luke's Jedi temple, then all of a sudden it makes sense. Right? Like, I don't want to like, like track backwards and look at Luke's temple and have it like half of the characters look like, uh, look like Ray, right? Like a typical, you know, Jedi trainee sort of thing. And then the other half of the characters are like these eight, I, I, however many, I don't know how many Knights of Ren there are, um, in that scene in the force awakens, but like, uh, there's like these characters that just totally stand out and they all look like the, the, um, like the inquisitors, <laughs> right? Cause you know, all yeah. the inquisitors had like that Sith look to them where it's like, Oh, you got the big guy who's got the big flat helmet yeah. or whatever. And he looks like a Sith. And then the, the, um, uh, Sarah Michelle Geller's character, like again, like has that like very gaunt look, like that's similar to like an Asajj Ventress sort of thing, where it's like you look at them and you identify them as bad guys immediately, right? Like I wouldn't want to see a flashback or something in Star Wars Resistance, uh, that you know where we see all of the 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 students at, at Luke's temple. And there are these like six or seven of them hanging out with, with Ben solo that are very clearly destined for the dark side. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I would want it to be more insidious than that, where it's like, uh, like with Ben where it's like, you know, you've got this, this pretty boy, but then, um, you know, he's spoiled and, you know, like he's had everything he's ever asked for. So when you give him power, he, it corrupts him instantly. Right. Um, something more more interesting like that. So I, I don't know. Like here I am talking myself into the idea that Carrie Russell would absolutely fit that bill. <laughs> but I think that age wise, um, that might be a little bit it might be a little bit weird. 
because she's she'd yeah. be just a little bit older than um, maybe not a little bit maybe maybe pretty substantially older than than sort of our main cast of heroes mm-hmm. um but yeah i i would see her as more somebody on the resistance side of things but i don't know that's we'll that's the vibe i would get yeah I mean, you're right about the knights of Ren too i mean look at the jedi when when yoda was training you know in in, in the prequels i mean it's, you had all kinds of different creatures and characters and species as as jedi it wouldn't be be a surprise or mm-hmm. any stretch to have knights of ren different species and uh whatever so um but yeah i think i i would tend to lean more like you're saying more of a regal um yeah resistance type you know character but we'll see we'll see absolutely the first of probably a, a few i'm sure a few more uh new castings coming up so yeah i'm cool. looking forward to that well, let's I jump, guess we'll get into it. Yeah, let's jump into the What's recap. That? All right, here we go. It's time for the Rebel Cells Clone Wars Special Edition recap. Is it civilized? Uh, that depends on your definition of civilized. I'm enjoying this far too much. All right, here we go. Trespass. Brian Kalen O'Connell is the director, writer, Stephen Melching, Scott Murphy, and Henry Gilroy. Arrogance diminishes wisdom. So we start off on the frozen world of Orto Plutonia, Anakin, Obi-Wan, and representatives of the nearby mood of Pantora discover a Republic outpost that has been mysteriously attacked by unknown. We'll talk about this uh, some more after you're done here. Yeah, uh, Obi-Wan and the clones assess the damage to the Republic outpost while Anakin, R2, and 3PO remain behind to protect the Pantoran officials, Senator Chuchi and Chairman Cho Chi. Uh, Obi-Wan believes that the outpost was caught in the crossfire when the Separatists provoked a nat- uh, the native inhabitants of the moon. Chairman Cho emphatically disagrees, claiming the moon is uninhabited and the jurisdiction of the sovereign world of Pantora. He demands that the Jedi seek out and destroy whatever attacked the outpost. So he's very much um, in disbelief that it could be anybody but the Separatists, even though uh, we see inside the outpost that there are spears and whatnot. It's it's to us and to the Jedi. It's very obviously um, a less advanced... Uh, I, I, uh, perpetrator, because um, mm-hmm. yeah, blasters <laughs> don't tend to leave spears behind. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, I mean, talk about uh, this is like a shift here. I mean, we got to see yeah. starting off. I mean, um, like you said, the Republic outpost. It's over on. We're talking Orta Plutonia here. Uh, the security force was taken out, so Anakin and Obi Wan are sent with these dignitaries from Pantora. And um, we get this ice planet in the tradition of Hoth, which was something that immediately you just like connect with. And uh, the first time we've seen Anakin and Obi-Wan in the cold weather gear, which was awesome to see that. You're just like, oh, this thing is really going, you know, this this show is 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 really going out there and trying different things and doing different things. And that's so awesome to see that. Um, and this is like one of the things that really I just you just connect with right away is is just that overall vibe of. Yeah. of Hoth and all that. So that was, I, that was really cool. Yeah. One of the things that I love about this episode and the reason why, and you know, like I don't, this won't be a very long recap and there's not really a lot to dig into because right. the episode does such a great job 
<clears throat> of encapsulating everything. Um, the the themes are really clear. The uh, the logic of the characters is really clear. The arc of uh, Senator Chuchi is is really really clear. Um, so it's all right there. It's a really well crafted, perfect story arc um, contained all in twenty two minutes. <clears throat> and I said this back ten years ago, and I'll say it uh, in this recap as well. This episode is the best example of Star Trek in Star Wars. It has that, you know, we're on an alien world. It's unknown. Um, There's a political component to it. There's sort of an anthropological component to it. Um, And there's some science there as well. And all of that comes together and and creates this really great sci-fi story. But it's a sci-fi story that, like any good sci-fi, holds up a mirror to... Um, to ourselves and and forces us to sort of confront um, some very difficult truths about humanity and so it's got like those are all everything that I just said to describe this episode I could absolutely be describing half a dozen of the greatest episodes of the original Star Trek or Next Gen Mm -hmm. or even Mm -hmm you know voyager any of the other sort of it's kind of star trek is diminishing returns as it moves forward it gets worse and worse <laughs> in my opinion but um <clears throat> uh, until you get to the reboot because jj yeah. knows what's up oh but yeah. uh yeah this episode like like i don't know that i'll have a lot to say especially because i think i've said it <laughs> i've said it a lot <laughs> over the years but yeah. um, but what you said about like the, the seeing the cold weather gear for the first time, we get all these new character models. We're uh, fifteen episodes into the series, right? Fifteen, right? So, um, so we're in the latter half of, of season one. Um, like I said uh, a couple episodes ago, like this when they really started to figure out what Clone Wars was with uh, with um, a Jedi crash and, and Defenders of Peace. Um, they're going, okay, this is what it is. We got the war stories and then we have the Jedi stories and then, you know, we get into the later seasons. It's like, okay, we've got the other side of it as well. Let's start talking about the separatists. We'll start talking about the Mandos and, and, um, and the Sith. And, I I, but early on, like this is a really well-defined episode about the Jedi and it is our best glimpse into what the Jedi were before the Clone Wars began. Mm-hmm. And that is probably the number one reason why this is one of my favorite episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, the Clone Wars are awesome and fun, and I love all of the action and adventure and that stuff. But <clears throat> this episode is what episode one would have been had the Sith not been involved and pulling the strings, right? Had Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan gone and settled the dispute and, you know, maybe they got into a little, a couple of scrapes along the way with the Trade Federation, but it eventually, um, you know, liberated Naboo and returned order and justice. Um, <clears throat> that, that it would have been much more like this episode, Mm-hmm. But I, uh, but obviously that goes sideways because of the involvement of Darth Maul and, and you know Darth Sidious pulling the strings behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is what this episode is what the Jedi are meant to be. They're not supposed to be out there fighting a war, right? 
And Anakin and Obi-Wan, they don't fight in this episode. They don't... Uh, they, they like 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 they really don't fight in this episode i'm hard pressed to think of a moment i don't think even like when when the talls are attacking that there's really any jedi involvement it's all clones right so clones, yeah um right. yeah like like they use the force for knowledge and defense never for attack and and so we're very early in i consider this to be one of the earliest stories that we see in the clone wars um and uh, I don't know if that tracks with the official timeline. Um, mm-hmm. Ahsoka's not around. So uh, so I've always considered that to be one of the indicators that this is before the Clone Wars movie. Um, but this is very early into um, the, the, the war, and people are still trying to figure out what, what exactly is the role of the Jedi in this war. They're generals, but the senators still have the ability to tell them what to do. And it's like, are they diplomats? Are they warriors? Like, what are they? Right. Um, and I think that Obi-Wan's instinct is to remain the diplomat. Um, and Anakin is still following his lead to a certain degree, even though he is a knight at this point. Um, so yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, 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 there are so many reasons to love this episode, but we'll uh, we'll get into some of the details as we go through. Do you want to continue? Yeah, yeah. I just say that that this thing about they come across the helmets that are on spikes, like that's always like a clue, you know, like hey, uh, we don't yeah. really want you around here. So I thought that was you know they do that a couple of times with the with the droid heads and the clone helmets. So it's like hey, you might want to stay out. Uh, unbeknownst to our heroes, the towels are monitoring the movements of the Jedi across the icy plains of their homeworld. Anakin and Obi-Wan locate the Tal's village. In the Tal's hut, Anakin illustrates a Tal uh, and illustrates a Tal's and a human being shaking hands, a symbol of peace and cooperation. The Tal's chieftain reciprocates his intentions for peace the, uh, to the Jedi who take the message back uh, to the Pantorans. Oh, go ahead, Mike. So there you go. That's the Jedi. Yeah, like they solved the problem that. in the yeah. first 10 minutes of the episode. <laughs> Right. Right. And not even like probably the first like five to seven minutes of the episode, they solve the problem Um, (laughs) and they go back after receiving the report about the talls from Anakin and Obi-Wan. Chairman Chochi argues that Pantoran scouts have never found anyone living on the planet and decides that the Tals are trespassers. The Jedi have promised a peaceful meeting between the Tals and the Pantorans, but Cho demands an armed clone force to attend. Uh, Through through EPO, uh, Tals chieftain... The Sen welcomes the Pandorans, but reiterates the Tao's desire to be left alone and asks them to leave the planet. Cho Chi says the Pandorans will not be commanded. Chairman Cho leads a force of Frico uh, and Bark Speeders into battle, rushing to face the Narglatch riding Tao. So obviously this this is all about this planet again. We've seen this yeah. a few times uh, in this early uh, season of Clone Wars where you know it's all about gaining uh planets and systems and stuff like yeah. that and this is kind of the same type of uh thing they're after this planet so yeah uh go ahead Mike. yeah i j- just to know i love the narglatch like i mean they're, oh yeah there's and as well as like the freako bikes are a cool addition this episode just does like it, it, i tweeted it does everything that i want a clone wars episode to do right it's it's 
uh, you know, alien politics and, uh, and, and, um, uh, cool creatures and new vehicles as well as Obi-Wan in a parka. And that's all I need. <laughs> he'd, yeah. he'd do that. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, cool. Um, the chairman is hit in the back by a spear and collapses onto the icy ground. Rex stops the Tals from finishing him off, and he drapes Cho's wounded form onto a bark uh, bark speeder and speeds away. Uh, Chuchi makes contact with the Pantoran assembly. The homeworld has decided that Chairman Cho's actions are out of order and have given Senator Chuchi the authority she needs to negotiate a peaceful settlement with the Tals. So what we see here is like this sort of there's there's all these dynamics going on because there's um, Senator Chuchi, who represents the Republic Senate, which mm-hmm. is a republic of like the Galactic Republic, right? So the wider galaxy. You've got Chairman Cho, who Cho. is representing Pantora specifically, and he's a leader of Pantora. And Chuchi technically answers to him, even right. though she represents the wider galaxy. Um, and then you've got the the Talls. And Tai Sen, who uh, who is the chieftain of his tribe and is, you know, representing uh, by default uh, Orto Plutonia, the this moon of Pantora, and um, and these dynamics kind of come into conflict because of different ideologies, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, Tai Sen, it seems to be. Uh, 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 he, he doesn't want conflict any more than the Jedi do, right? Like any more than anybody does. He's he, like mm-hmm. Tyson. It wants to protect his people, and right. so when the when peace is offered, they they agree almost immediately because it's like, oh, okay, misunderstanding, not how this should have happened, but you know, like let's move forward together, right? Which is a which is an admirable trait. Which I love because they're portrayed and Chairman Cho refers to them as savages, right? And there's a that's there's a very clear connection back to colonial America and uh, and and uh, Native Americans as First Nations as we call them in Canada, uh, and that uh, that sort of. Um, ideology of like you know the manifest destiny sort of like well we're civilized we have the authority of god and we're gonna colonize this land and it's it's ours now despite the fact that there's clearly people already here right um and uh so like it's that that allegory is very clear and um and and you know, it's it's played out in 22 minutes, so it's a little bit simplified. Um, it's definitely really sort of reduced uh, uh, in scope, but the the thematic part of it and the message is there, and I love that because um, although you know the 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 talls are not an advanced species, uh, they still uh, they're still honorable, they're still wise, and they're still they're still um, even though they're these, you know, big puffballs with snouts, with like a little yeah. proboscis, I, uh, <laughs> I, uh, they, they're, they're human, right? Like their, their desire for peace is instantly relatable, and you're not cheering for Chairman Cho 
um, you're cheering for the Talls when they attack the clones who are our heroes in this story. You're going like, <clears throat> Rex is obviously doing awesome stuff in these scenes, and he's totally 100% badass. I mean, like, he's Rex, oh, yeah. right? This is the episode that made me go, oh, Rex is not just a clone trooper. Yeah, he's, he stands Rex, out. Yeah, Right? Yeah. And the next week's episode, <clears throat> we're going to get a little bit more of that. But... <clears throat> Yeah, like, this is the episode where you go, like, oh, he is, there's a reason why he's Anakin's go-to, right? Like, why he's Captain Rex and he's not just a soldier. Um, yeah. He's he's more than that. And then, obviously, as we build into Star Wars Rebels, we we, we know Rex is a cut above, right? But, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, I I even as he's fighting the Talls, you're kind of cheering for them as well. And when Cho gets the spear to the back, you're kind of like, yeah, well, you deserve that, right? Like, yep. you, y- sure. he does deserve it to a degree. I mean, like, you know. He's out of control, yeah. He provokes them and declares war. And when that happens, you know, this is the outcome of something like that. But Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I just wrote down as far as notes, too. Like, you're exactly right about I mean, it's it's so obvious. And it's just right there as far as the, the towels and, and, and their – kind of representation of of the indians of old you know yeah just i mean they call them chieftain um yeah. and it's a tribe and they have the huts and the fire and and kind of like the ranking structure yeah uh it just it totally it's, it's right there so i thought that was really yeah. really cool um a republic gunship lands between the towels and the clones thesan orders his towels to halt senator chuchi crouches before the dying chairman who orders her to avenge his death and destroy the towels chuchi refuses with C-3PO, she approaches Thi Sin, who dismounts and walks towards her. She calls for an end to the bloodshed, choosing to live for her people rather than die for them. So this is a thing with with Chuchi, yeah. um, that she, her kind of in this episode her turn, like she's so scared and she's so intimidated by Cho. Uh, and then she talks to Anakin and he's like, no, you have to stand up for your people. And her kind of her character kind of evolving into standing up. And uh, choosing to live, like she says here, live for people. And kind of her standing up to the chieftain, uh, kind of that mutual respect there. And it's kind of her her um, character, like I said, evolves in this this quick episode. You know, in 22 minutes, she kind of becomes strong and is able to uh, to lead her people. So that was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, should we finish? I guess we're going to finish it out. <clears throat> yeah, we'll wrap it up. <laughs> uh, Tyson echoes her sentiment by burying his spear next to hers. Chuchi declares the Pantorans will leave Ordo Plutonia under the stewardship of the Talls and recognize their sovereignty. <clears throat> Tyson bows before the young senator, and he and his soldiers march away. Obi-Wan compliments the senator for the path she has chosen, but tasks her with one more duty. Make the peace last. Um, yeah, I mean, like I said, it's just totally self-contained. Wraps up by the end of it. Everybody's happy. Uh, you know, Chairman Cho's dead, but... Um, like I said, you know, it's kind of, he kind of reaps what he sows. Right. Um, so there's not a lot of love lost there. I don't think, uh, but, um, there's consequence, which is great. A great thing about the clone wars, but there's also resolution and, and that's really great. It's such a perfectly self-contained episode. Right. And that's one of the things I love the most about it. Yeah, this one I, I I talk about you know visually um, one of the most striking so far in this in this uh, in this series in the Clone Wars. I remember watching it and thinking that you know years ago, and it still it still resonates um, 
you know, like I said earlier, visuals are kind of a nod to uh, Hoth in Empire. You know, yeah. like I said, with the snowsuits and all that, and the early early versions of the stormtrooper armor worn by Captain Rex, pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, and the, the attention to detail also, like the frost around Anakin and Obi-Wan's goggles yeah. uh, to the visible. You can see like their breath movements. This is stuff like that. You're like, wow, you know, they're really it's, going it's, deep. You know? It's the first episode to really uh, uh, stretch out and, and yeah. do something yeah. different and interesting with the environment and with, with the character animation and stuff. So, yeah, it definitely yeah. does stand out for that reason as well. Um, yeah, definitely, yeah. Uh, definitely stand out. Good stuff, man. Yeah. Um, I guess that'll do it. We got to wrap it up. Yeah, yeah, we got to wrap this one up. But uh, uh, obviously, a great episode. Um, you can hear me talk. You can hear both of us talk way more about this episode um, on uh, any of our like like top episode uh, oh. uh, discussions, <laughs> yeah. as well as yeah. going back and listening to the original episode because I think I gush even back um yeah i love this one it's so great and i just think that it deserves to be uh held up there uh, with the top episodes of the series um awesome well uh next week's episode we're gonna be talking about the hidden enemy another really great one very clone focused uh anakin and obi-wan discover evidence of a traitor amongst their ranks while attempting to lead republic forces to liberate the planet of christophsis from a separatist siege when the Republic is ambushed on Christophsis, it becomes clear that someone has set them up. The Jedi suspect the Sith, while Rex and Cody uncover information that points to a spy amongst them. So, uh, very focused on Rex and Cody. This is the first time we really get to focus on Cody in the series. Um, uh, great episode. Really cool intrigue. Um, so, I'm excited to talk about that one. But uh, yeah. but that does it for us this week. Sorry, uh, Martin, but... Uh, wasn't a very long episode. Uh, <laughs> I know you wanted it to be like a three-hour episode. But uh, thank you guys for listening. Uh, as always, if you want to stay up to date with all the latest Star Wars animation news, you can do that by heading to rebelcells.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash rebelspodcast, as well as on Twitter at rebelspodcast. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at arkwolf, A-R-K-W-U-L-F, and Matt is at the crankster. That's crankster with a K. Uh, and you guys know we're part of the Thunderquack Podcast Network. Head to thunderquack.com to check out all the other great podcasts in the network. And uh, if you want to support us, you can do that in two ways by heading to store.thunderquack.com to pick up some merch like a Kanan inspired Star Wars mm. Rebel Cells uh, t shirt, or, you know, maybe yes. that Phoenix Flame, or, uh, you know, we got a bunch of stuff because there's, uh, there's some Saga Continues stuff as well. Uh, store.thunderquack.com. Check that out. And the other way is by supporting us with a pledge over on Patreon. Uh, Patreon is a uh, completely optional voluntary uh, uh, support platform for us uh, where you head there and you pledge a monthly pledge. For as little as a dollar, you get uh, access to the Thunderquack podcast, the exclusive podcast, as well as our Facebook group. Um, And, uh, you know, we've got other goodies at, at higher tiers as well. So, Head over to patreon.com slash thunderquack and uh, support us over there if you are able to do so. We really appreciate everybody who does. You guys are the best. Uh, Thank you guys for listening, and we'll be back next week for the episode The Hidden Enemy.